Galatians chapter 1, verses 6 through 11, and, uh, through 10. In honor of God's word, would you stand with me as I read the passage? I'm astonished that you are so quickly deserting him who called you in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel. Not that there is another one, but there are some who trouble you and want to distort the gospel of Christ. But even if we or an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel contrary to the one we preach to you, let him be accursed. As we've said before, so now I say again, if anyone is preaching to you a gospel contrary to the one you received, let him be accursed. For am I now seeking the approval of man or of God? Or am I trying to please man? If I were still trying to please man, I would not be a servant of Christ. Amen. This is God's word. He can be seated. So the, the introductory first five verses tell of the good news of the grace and peace that are ours because Jesus gave himself for our sins to deliver us from the present evil age, verse 5 tells us. And, you know, we often think of salvation as like this ticket to heaven. We, we were in because of what Jesus did for us. And, and while it does assure us of heaven, it's much more than that. It is Jesus with us right now. It is his life in us to empower us to live godly lives that glorify God and serve others like he did, which makes us aliens in this present evil age. That's how Peter describes it, aliens and pilgrims in the world. Because we come out of the world system and we come into the kingdom of God and we're just different. Anybody tell you, you're really different. They say, amen, it's because of Jesus, hallelujah. I love to hear that. Why? Somebody said to me one time, why are you always smiling? I said, because I got Jesus, praise God. <laughs> I know where I'm going. Verse six says, I'm astonished that you are so quickly deserting him who called you in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel. Now, this is the only letter from the Apostle Paul that begins without praise and prayer and thanks to God because Paul's shocked at how effective the Judaizers have been. That is, I'm going to use that term Judaizers. It's people who, who preach works. Salvation is Jesus plus doing these uh, Jewish things that, that are according to the laws of Moses. He's shocked how quickly they undermined the churches all throughout the region of Galatia, which is, is southern Turkey. Paul planted all these churches. He left, and pretty soon he hears they're all wanting to be circumcised and obey the laws of Moses. Maybe you've been the Lord's instrument to see someone come to faith. I hope you have. It's just the most wonderful thing you can experience besides your own salvation. So you encourage them to go to Bible study and you meet with them regularly. You try to answer their questions and, and lead them to the answers in scripture. You watch them grow in the Lord. And then imagine that you hear they want to be circumcised and start eating kosher. You go, what? What happened to them? Who influenced them? That's where Paul is at here. Wait a second. 
They're already born again. They don't have to obey the law. There's, Jesus did it all. So this is why Paul's so astonished. It was hard to believe that they could be so quickly turned from the grace of Christ to legalism. This is why it's important to disciple new believers in the truth of God's word. Evangelism is wonderful, and we are commanded to share the good news, but we're also commanded to make disciples of all nations, teaching them all that Jesus taught. That's the Great Commission in Matthew 28. A new believer is the target of Satan because when he's just born again, yeah, he's excited and it's that honeymoon time, but he's also the most vulnerable because he knows the, the least that he's going to know in his Christian life. And so he becomes a target of the enemy. And if a subtle shift in belief can take them down the wrong road and make them ineffective for the kingdom of God, or even worse, become divisive or spreading false teaching, man, the enemy's right there to make that happen. The Bible calls new believers babes for a reason. They need the sincere milk of the word to grow thereby, Peter told us in 1 Peter 2.2. The Galatians had welcomed the gospel of grace. The church were, was, were planted. The elders were appointed. A move of God was sweeping throughout that whole region. But when the Judaizers came telling them that they had to keep the law, they just took that hook, line, and sinker as well. This verse addresses two issues that astonished Paul. First was deserting the one who called them, and the second turning to another gospel. They quickly deserted. It was a term used for soldiers and politicians who changed sides. The Republican becoming a Democrat. The, uh, the soldier that's on this side turns and joins the enemy. We call them turncoats, right? They quickly deserted. Pharisees were known to try to convert Gentiles. Um, that was a common thing in the first century. And uh, other, other Jews would laud them for turning a Gentile to becoming a Jew. And so in the process, they would circumcise them. They would teach them the, the law. But Jesus didn't mince words when he told the Pharisees, you, you go all over the earth to make converts and you make them twice the child of hell as yourselves. Can you, when we get this picture of Jesus, sweet, mild Jesus, you know, terry cloth bathrobe and big smile on his face. Sometimes he was in the Pharisees' faces. And that's what was happening here. here. These people that were into legalism were changing the believers who trusted in God by grace. I think they were probably Pharisees who'd come to know Jesus, accept Jesus as the Messiah. And so they're so used to the old laws and the legalism and all their pride was in that. That's how they thought they pleased God before. So they just kind of incorporate it with Jesus as the Messiah. It's called syncretism. When we try to take it one idea or religion and mix it in with another, with grace, the grace of, of God. And this morning in Sunday school, we talked about how the church resolved this issue in Acts chapter 15, something you can read on your own. 
Paul doesn't exactly say in this passage who they were deserting. Some think Paul's referring to himself. However, in Paul's letters, all throughout Paul's letters, the one who calls us always refers to God. So they were deserting God who sent his son to save them through his sacrifice on the cross. That contradicts God's answers to our sins, the death of Jesus to save us. Today's Christians sometimes desert God in a similar way. They believe in Jesus, but then they think they must add some particular good work to stay saved. Good works flow out of a relationship with Jesus, but they have nothing to do with saving us. Good deeds don't erase bad deeds. That's a total misconception. That's worldly thinking. That's uh, so many religions include that idea. In fact, that's one of the basis for Islam. When you die, your bad deeds are going to be on this scale and your good deeds on this scale, and it hangs on this pinnacle that's on the Temple Mount, and, and the balance goes one way or the other. And if your good deeds outweighs your bad, maybe Allah will accept you. Oh, I'm so glad for the grace of Jesus, aren't you? Because if I understand scripture correctly, our scales would go, <laughs> right? I mean, I mine sure would. To trust in our works is to desert God and reject his grace. Only the blood of Christ could pay our sin debt. Only the blood of Christ. That's how serious this issue is. The gospel proclaims that faith in the one who did it all is our only way to receive the grace of Christ. Paul didn't just casually mention the grace of Christ in verse 6. This is what the whole letter is about. It's a letter about God's grace. And this is what the Galatians were abandoning by saying they had to add the works to it. To trust in your good works or even to be just, just a part of what saves you is to believe Satan's lie, you shall be as God. It's God's work, not ours. You cannot save yourself. It's, pride seems to be at the core of most temptations. And to believe you could save yourself is the ultimate in pride. They'd turn to a different gospel. Verse 7a says, but there isn't another one. There isn't another gospel. There's only one good news. It's that Jesus paid it all. Works-based salvation is entirely different message, not another source of, of good news. It's bad news because Paul wrote that by the works of the law shall no flesh be justified. While the word gospel is used uh, at the time for any kind of good news, the Apostle Paul uses the term 60 times in his letters, and it always means the incarnation of Jesus, his life, death, and resurrection. To the Apostle, that is the ultimate meaning of gospel. By grace are we saved through faith which was made possible through Jesus offering himself in our place, taking our punishment. It's always been the case. King David was saved by faith. Abraham was saved by faith. Faith trusts God to do what we cannot do for ourselves. 
That is why keeping the law to be saved is another gospel that really isn't good news at all. In fact, it's bad news because you can't keep all the laws. It's impossible. That was the story of the whole Old Testament. This morning, someone asked in, in our Bible study this morning, why the law? Why do we need the law when we knew that Jesus was going to do it all? Well, we needed to know how fallen we were and how God's requirements could not be kept. You can't be good enough for God. If you could, Jesus didn't need to die for our sins. Didn't Jesus ask if there was some other way? God didn't say, well, yeah, if they could keep all the law. No, there was no response to that because there is no other way. Verse 7b, but there are some who trouble you and want to distort the gospel of Christ. Works is not good news. There's no other good news than Jesus. Those Judaizers wanted respect for converting Gentiles and making them like Jews. They turned the Galatians from the gospel of Christ into pride in their works. The false teachers troubled the Galatians. That same expression is used about them in Acts 15, 24. False doctrines create doubts and factions and disunity in the church. Paul said they distorted the gospel. That, that word can also be translated, they reversed the gospel. They turned it 180 degrees from Jesus paid it all to you can pay some too. That's the opposite. That means they were committing apostasy. It's turning away from the faith. Luther masterfully captured the genius of their appeal in his summary of the message. Christ's a fine master. He makes the beginning, but Moses must complete the structure. The devil's nature shows itself therein. If he cannot ruin people by wronging and persecuting them, he will do it by improving them. You can be perfect if. You can be more holy if. One of the most important messages in the New Testament is that our faith must endure to the end. It's mentioned over and over again. This verifies the authenticity of our faith. Any of us can walk away from the faith. You probably know people who have. It's really sad to see. You ask them about Jesus and they want to change the subject immediately. It can happen to any of us. And that's why Paul said, let him who thinks he stands take heed lest he fall. Apostasy is not just turning to pleasure. It can be turning to faith in oneself, which is even more subtle. It can be adding to the grace of God and say, thank you, Jesus, but I got this. Grace is humbling. Grace reminds us how indebted we are. Grace trades our debt of sin for a debt of gratitude for what Jesus has done. Why would anyone who's experienced grace do such a thing? Why would Eve listen to the serpent? Why would the Jews in the wilderness build a golden calf? Why would Israel turn from God to idols? Why would any Christian abandon the gospel of grace for faith in oneself? 
it can come down to feeling God has failed us. But the root of the idea is pride. We think we know what God should have done or that we can understand the mind of God. Pride says, I know better than God. God sent Jesus as the solution to my sin debt, but I need to do this or that to please God. Listen to this. God cannot be any more pleased to you than he is the moment you receive forgiveness made possible by the cross. Let that sink in. You can't add anything to that. Now you can lay up treasure in heaven by cooperating with the Holy Spirit, but that's very different from making yourself acceptable to God. It has nothing to do with being worthy of being in his holy, glorious presence. Only Jesus can make you worthy. When someone tells you that they're glad you received Jesus, but now you have to, you know, join this denomination, be baptized, street witness, vote a certain way, speak in tongues, observe a Jewish feast, whatever, they're inviting you to commit apostasy. Now, any of those things may be good things, and we should do them, things Jesus even asked us to do. The Spirit may lead you to do all of them, but when they say it's mandatory for your salvation, they are committing apostasy. To abandon faith in Jesus' sufficient work on the cross by adding to it faith in good deeds is apostasy. Paul follows this description with a curse on all who would proclaim a similar message that distorts the gospel. In verse 8, he says, But even if we or an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel contrary to the one we preach to you, let him be accursed. In one of the harshest statements in the New Testament, Paul asked for divine judgment to fall on those who would distort this gospel of grace. This same word curse appears in the Septuagint. That's the Greek translation that Jews did of the Old Testament in Deuteronomy 13, where false prophets were to be accursed. In other words, Paul is equating these false teachers with the false prophets who the Old Testament said were to be stoned. Paul would have never said that lightly. He knew the essence of the gospel was at stake. It does not set well on modern ears, accustomed to tolerance at any price and a doctrine of God devoid of the notions of judgment and wrath. Yet here it stands, stubbornly and ominously at the forefront of Paul's concern. I personally know a man that lives here in the Verde Valley who says an angel spoke to him several times, appeared to him, a glorious angel, and said that he needed to understand what was wrong with the church. Wait a minute. The church are the children of God who are in Christ Jesus. Amen? What can be wrong with the church? If they're in Christ, they're saved, and, and he sanctifies them. But here's what he heard, that they're not saying my name correctly. <laughs> what? And they believe in eternal judgment. Those are the two things that have the church completely off track. 
everybody must call on the name of Yeshua. If you don't say Yeshua, he doesn't hear you. I'm going, what about my brothers and sister in Japan who say Yesu? God doesn't hear them? Come on. But he is absolutely certain because an angel appeared to him. Now that's not really another gospel. It doesn't quite fall under this category, but it does fall under the category of James 3.1 that we're accountable for what we teach. It does fall under this, if an angel teaches you something that's not scriptural, one error leads to another. If all will be saved, why do we need to repent and change? Paul writes that this curse applies to anyone, even in himself, even himself. He uses the word we here, should they teach another gospel. False teaching isn't just a difference in interpretation of minor doctrine, but regarding the gospel of salvation through the sufficiency of Jesus' sacrificial death on the cross. By including his ministry team in the curse, should they preach a different gospel, Paul was emphasizing that it isn't about the preacher, it's about the message of what Jesus accomplished for us. If we trust in works, we will be under condemnation until the day we die. But faith is the accomplished work of Jesus, and that gives us joy and assurance. Amen? If you don't know that joy and assurance... You need to grab hold of the promises of God and the descriptions in God's word. Verse nine, as we have said before, so now I say again, if anyone is preaching to you a gospel contrary to the one you received, let him be accursed. You know, in scripture, when something's repeated, it means it's very, very important. The only difference from verse eight is that in verse eight, we have the future possibility of someone preaching uh, works, whereas in verse 9, the, it's a present tense. Someone is preaching. In other words, those presently preaching in the Galatian churches uh, better take heed. It should have put the fear of God in them. We're to love one another, but we can pray that wolves and those who would invade the flock with poison of another gospel be accursed. The role of deciding who's crossing that line is given to the elders. Elders and pastors are used, the words used interchangeably, shepherds, poimen in Greek. Peter tells that the elders are to shepherd the flock, exercising oversight. And one of the jobs of shepherds is to keep the sheep from poisonous weeds. You know, the shepherd knows what to look for. He keeps his sheep away from that poisonous vegetation. We can guard ourselves from vulnerability to the pride in our old nature by consistent and careful study of God's word. We need to be aware of the enemy's schemes, such as the one mentioned here, but especially when we're discouraged or disappointed. Just as Satan sought an opportune moment to attack Jesus, he does the same with us. He hits us when we're down, when we're discouraged, when we're sick, downcast, it's then that we need to make every effort to fix our eyes on Jesus, on what is eternal. Listen to praise music. Stay in fellowship. And be in God's word. Another point I'd like to make comes from the, the final chapter of this letter, 
when we see a brother or sister starting down this road of they think they're not quite saved, that they've got to do something about it to, to finish their salvation, um, reversing the gospel of grace, gently remind them of the wonder of God's grace, of the sufficiency of what Jesus did for them. Encourage them with passages from this letter to the Galatians. Invite them to fellowship in your home and study the scriptures with them. And finally, I want to say to those who are young in the Lord, who may be fearful that, what if I'm led astray? What if the enemy hits me and, and gets me off track? Let me remind you what the scripture says. By his own power, God will guard us through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. He's more than able to keep you from stumbling and to present you blameless before the presence of his glory with great joy. He who called you is the eternal to his eternal glory in Christ will himself restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. He will sustain you to the end, guiltless in the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. Indeed, Paul says, I am sure of this, that he who began in a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. And he who calls you as faithful, he will surely do it. That was all scripture. Those are the promises of God. And you can rest in those and stand on those. Verse 10, for am I now seeking the approval of man or of God? Or am I trying to please man? If I were still trying to please man, I would not be the servant of Christ. Ministers must set the example of seeking God's approval rather than man's, especially when it comes to doctrine. In that regard, we have an audience of one, the Holy One. People pleasing comes from wanting to be respected. We should always be more concerned about what God thinks than what people think. Speak the truth in love and let the chips fall where they may. Speak as the oracles of God. The gospel will always be countercultural because this is a fallen world in which we live. And the temptation is to conform to the world and, and seek its approval or even its praise. But when that happens, you know you've missed the mark somewhere. We try to be as inoffensive as possible, but the truth will always offend or convict sinners. One of the, the unenviable tasks of elders is to confront those who desert the biblical message. And I don't think any of us enjoys confrontation. Shepherds don't enjoy confronting wolves, but it must be done for the sake of the sheep. And that not only draws the ire of the wolf, but also of those who've fallen under its, his spell. Adding anything to the gospel of grace is to say Jesus' work on the cross was insufficient and the glory of Christ Jesus is at stake. That's why Paul is so adamant. Man's eternal destiny is on the line with this doctrine. To teach another way to salvation is to lead people to hell. That's how serious the issue is and why Paul is being so stern. The Judaizers were trying to make Christians acceptable 
to Jews because they were people pleasers. It would have been tempting for the Christians because Jews had special rights in the Roman Empire to worship Yahweh instead of the emperor. Christians' lives were at risk when they would say that Jesus is Lord. So lump them together with the Jews and they could still worship Yahweh and be safe. All you have to do is obey the laws of Moses. The tension with the Jews dies down and the threat of execution is gone. You see how seductive it was? For us today in the USA, the threat is not yet so severe, maybe coming, but the old nature still wants man's approval. Any of you ever struggle with that? I have. Today's Christian will compromise for a whole lot less, and one way we do it is by being silent. Another is by watering down the truth or refusing to be clear about what the Bible says. The hot-button issues of our day come up in a conversation we want to hide, but instead we should study how to answer in gentleness and with knowledge and understanding and compassion. There, there are reasons that God tells us not to do things, and it's often because they're harmful to us physically or spiritually or both. Instead of wagging a finger of superiority, include yourself as a sinner when discussing what the, the unbeliever is questioning about what Christians call sin. The only difference between us and the unbeliever is that we went to receive the grace of Christ. Amen? Use it as a chance to show off the love of God. That isn't pleasing man, but rather it's using wisdom as the servant of Christ. Paul never tried to change the message to fit in with the Jews. He preached their own scriptures in their synagogues. But every time, he was eventually thrown out because he wouldn't compromise the message of grace. In confronting the doctrine of Jesus, plus works equals salvation, he wasn't trying to please the Judaizers or the Galatians. He was being a servant of God, declaring as an oracle of God the very truth of the gospel. Jesus plus nothing equals salvation. Salvation will result in a transformed life. People pleaser or servant of Christ? Which are we? People pleasers have an inordinate desire to please other people. Servants of Christ have an all-consuming passion to please God. People pleasers are motivated by the fear of man. Servants of Christ are inspired by the fear of God. People pleasers pretend to serve God when they really intend to serve themselves. Servants of Christ actually intend to serve God by meeting the needs of other people. People pleasers are anxious for the approval of others and distraught when they don't get it. But servants of Christ simply love others and leave the approval or disapproval to the judgment of God. May God help us to be servants of Christ who present the amazing gospel of the grace of Christ. Amen? Amen. Let's close with prayer.
Lord, you know our frame that we are dust. And you know how weak we are. But we thank you for your life in us and the power of the Holy Spirit that gives us strength to stand, to take a stand. Give us wisdom, Lord, how to speak. Help us to prepare to give an answer to those who ask of the hope that lies in us. Help us prepare to, to address these issues that our culture is wrestling with, with wisdom and gentleness and your love. Lord, I thank you for this gospel of grace. Help us to know deep in our hearts that you did pay it all, and all to you we owe. Thank you, Lord. Be with us as we go. Help us to go out into a, a world of darkness shining with your light, reflecting your light. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. My benedictions from Galatians 1, 4, and 5, and chapter 6, verse 20. To him who gave himself for our sins, to deliver us from the present evil age, according to the will of God our Father. To him be the glory forever and ever. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. Amen. God bless you.